Thanks for joining us as we explore the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. For discussion guides and details about how to join us on Sundays, please visit fairoaks.org. If you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Mark chapter 10? Uh, that's where we'll be this morning, and we've come to a, uh, a really uh, heavy but important topic in the Gospel of Mark this morning, something that's going to help us really uh, see our need for Jesus and the power of his grace, and that is the topic of divorce. Um, now, before we get into the text, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge reality. Um, that a second ago, we were all saying, woo, uh, and, and now there's a weight in the room. Um, that uh, I think there's probably not a person in here who hasn't been affected by divorce in some way. Um, Whether you have personally been divorced, uh, or your parents were divorced, uh, or someone you just really care about in your life has been through a divorce, um, I think we all probably bear the scars of this uh, in one way or another. And so in light of the pain that a topic like this can bring up for us. What I want to do um, is just start by speaking a word of God's grace over you um, to remind us of everything we just sang, that our God is a gracious God, uh, that there is no sin uh, that he cannot forgive, there is no brokenness in your story that he cannot heal. And in fact, it's our brokenness that is the very reason that Jesus has come into the world. And so... Um, so if you're thinking like, man, this is hard, I don't want to go there, uh, we, we need to go there because Jesus goes there. Um, but I want us to enter this text today with the confidence that where this text might press on some tender places in our lives, uh, we have a gracious and redemptive and loving God um, who is um, alive and at work in this room and loves to bring great healing to places of great brokenness. Um, and I think that's especially true for those of us that, that this topic weighs heavy on us. Um, and so I want us to enter uh, this text with that word of grace and that confidence in our great God that we have nothing to fear, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even a difficult topic like this one. Um, the other thing I want to say before we get into the text is there's no way I could possibly answer all of your questions uh, about divorce in one sermon. And so what I want to do is we opened up a channel on our website at fairoaks.org ask where uh, during the sermon, as you have questions, I want to encourage you to go to that link and send your questions in. Uh, and later this week, I'll give kind of my best responses uh, to your questions through our normal video and podcast channel. So please write that down. It's in the digital worship guide throughout this sermon. As you have questions, send them on in so I can answer those there. Sound good? All right. The room has changed, right? And that's okay, because God is with us. Let's go. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Let's see what he has for us today. And he, that's Jesus, he left there and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So here's what we've got going on in the story of Mark. He's saying, okay, Jesus, he's moving into a new region. Crowds are gathering again. And again, you've got the religious people that are trying to discredit and stop Jesus. And so this time, here's their strategy. They think, you know what? Let's ask him a really controversial question. They ask him about a hot-button issue in their day. They say, Jesus, what do you think about divorce? Um, Now, I want you to just try to imagine a culture in which views of marriage are controversial. That's the day in which Jesus lived. Uh, In Jesus' day, um, the people of God, they lived under the rule of the Roman Empire. Uh, And in uh, in the Roman society, divorce was just absolutely rampant. Like the idea of no-fault divorce, they didn't have that term back then, but it is not a new idea. We're just recycling things. Um, So divorce is absolutely rampant in Roman society, and within Judaism, uh, there were kind of two views on this. Uh, The the first uh, comes from a rabbi named um, Shammai, Uh, and he represented maybe the more conservative end of the spectrum. Uh, He taught um, that, no, 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 uh, divorce is only permittable in the case of adultery. 
And, and so that was Rabbi Shammai. But then there was another school of thought. Uh, the, this one's represented by uh, the Rabbi Hillel. Uh, and he took a more liberal approach. Uh, what he said uh, was, you know, actually, if a, if a man finds any indecency in his wife, then that is grounds for uh, divorce. And that indecency, it could l- literally be anything. Um, it could be uh, you're walking down the street and you found another woman more pleasing than your wife. Now, look, I'm not saying this is right. This is wicked, but this is what this rabbi was teaching. That uh, if you don't feel like it anymore, you can, um, you know, get out of that one, get into this one here. He's actually on record as saying if, if a wife, again, this is not me. This is Rabbi Hillel said, if a woman cooks a meal improperly, that is grounds for divorce. And so this is the day in which Jesus lived. There's some tension around this. And so the Pharisees come up and they ask him, Jesus, hey, which end of the spectrum do you fall on? Are you conservative? Are you liberal? And I love Jesus' response here. Here's what he says. He says, um, verse 3, he answered them, what did Moses command you? Are you conservative? Are you liberal? He's like, I'm far more concerned with being biblical. Um, See, when we come to hot-button issues like this, we can often look to our culture and say, what does culture say, Um, and try to fit God into that box. And um, others of you, you're like, no, I don't do that. Maybe you're more fundamentalist. Maybe you look at culture and say, what does culture say? And then you go the exact opposite direction of that. And what Jesus is saying is rather than look to our culture to tell us what is true about ultimate reality, we should look to the word of God because no culture is so broken that there's nothing good in it and no culture is so redeemed that there's nothing broken in it. And so rather than looking to our culture to tell us about ultimate reality, Jesus says, hey, you know, let's actually go to the word of God and allow God to speak into this matter um, because that's going to lead us to a far more life-giving place. And so he says, what does Moses command you? Moses wrote the first, book of the Bi- first five books of the Bible. And here's how they respond. Verse 4. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate to send her away. And Jesus said to them, You know, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Um, I love this about Jesus. He Um, he knows this is a trap. He knows what's in their hearts. He knows that they're not interested in learning from Jesus. They just want to trap Jesus, try to catch him in his words and think, uh, maybe if I could get him to come down on one side or the other, some people will stop following Jesus or better yet, maybe Jesus will take a real hard stance on divorce like John the baptizer did several chapters ago. And then we could take that podcast to Herod and Herod will take care of our Jesus problem for us, just like he did with John. The Pharisees come trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus is so good and so great, he not only avoids their trap, but he takes this moment to teach his disciples and the crowd about God's true heart for marriage. So um, he says, what does the Bible say? He's going to take this as a teachable moment, great parenting lesson right there. Even moments of foolishness can be great teachable moments. Um, What does the Bible say? And they respond by referring to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. That's... uh, where the Pharisees are quoting from. Um, and, and this was the text uh, that the Rabbi Shammai and the Rabbi Hillel built their various schools of thought about divorce on. This was kind of like the text for the people of God at that time as they thought about divorce. And um, Jesus' response to the Pharisees, it comes in two parts. After he says, what does the Bible say? They quote to him, Deuteronomy 24. He gives them a response in two parts, and we'll look at them in two parts. Number one, he says, um, you have got that text all wrong. And so I want to read to you Deuteronomy 24 so that you can understand Jesus' response. I don't want you to just take my word for it, but Jesus knows what he's talking about here. Um, This is in Deuteronomy 24. This is what the Pharisees are referring to. When Jesus says, what does the Bible say about divorce? Here's where they go. They go, Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and he puts it in her hand, and he sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then... 
The former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring this sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, I don't know how they took that text and said, hey, here's God saying divorce is totally okay. But that was the view of the people of God. They were saying, hey, he doesn't say you can't. And and Jesus doesn't disagree with that interpretation, but he says, your focus is way off here. This text is not God saying, because the whole argument between uh, Shammai and Hillel is, what does that word indecency mean? Is it adultery? Is it uh, anything that you don't like? Like, she overcooked the meatloaf. Like, what is indecency? And Jesus steps in after centuries of rabbinic debate, and he's like, you guys, like, did you even read the whole text? That's your takeaway to argue over indecency? This text isn't about when you should get divorced. This text is about providing protection for the most vulnerable in a society where marriage was being treated cheaply. Um, Here's what was going on in Israel at the time Deuteronomy was written. You have to remember this was written uh, in a patriarchal world. And so this wasn't right. Again, I'm going to say that this wasn't right. But men in the ancient world were viewed as more valuable than women. And so you kind of had men in positions of power. Women as kind of being less than, not able to really um, work or do things unless they're uh, connected to a husband that would do things for them. And so what was apparently going on is um, if a man in that culture uh, found some indecency in his wife, let's say your school of Hillel, and you take a real uh, liberal approach to that word indecency, you're like, it could mean anything. Like she might have overcooked the meatloaf that day. Let's say she overcooked the meatloaf. Um, In that society, he could send her away. He could uh, say, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going to move on with my life. And for that man, there'd be very little cost to that. He could move on with his life and do whatever. And what God's saying in Deuteronomy chapter 24 is, hey, if you're going to do that, if you're going to hate your wife that much to treat her that way, by the way, I want you to notice that word hate. This is not God saying he's cool with the whole patriarchy thing. He's like, if you're going to be that much of a jerk about it, then you're at least going to give her a certificate of divorce so she can move on with her life. Because in that world, without that certificate of divorce, she would be, um, she'd be, really looked down upon. She'd be mistreated. She wouldn't be able to get remarried to someone that would love her and care for her and provide for her. She'd be in a very vulnerable position. And so God says, hey, if you're going to do this nonsense, you're at least going to give her this certificate of divorce so she can move on with her life. And apparently what was happening, um, and apparently it was happening frequently enough that God had to write Bible about it, was as you get to verses 3 and 4, um, apparently, um, say you were that woman that um, you're deadbeat husband set away for some awful reason. Say you're that woman and you get remarried. Apparently what happened often enough in the society is sin was so pervasive in this culture that the second marriage would end much in the same way. And so um, maybe you didn't cook the meatloaf wrong. Maybe, um, you know, he's just walking down the street and sees an ex and says, you know what, I'm kind of over this thing right now. I want to move on with her. And he sends her away. What was apparently happening was husband number one, deadbeat guy number one, who sent her away for the burnt meatloaf, would say, um, you know, I was really mad about that meatloaf, um, but I've missed you since you've been gone. Would you come back to me? Um, It was basically like ancient world booty call. It was awful. And what Deuteronomy chapter 24 is saying, no way! You are not going to treat her that cheaply. This woman is not an object to be used by you when it's convenient and sent away from you when it is not. She is an image bearer of the living God. And what Deuteronomy 24 is, God is a good father saying, you're not going to treat my daughters that cheaply. If you are going to hate them this much, you're going to send them away with a certificate of divorce so they can move on with their life, find a husband who will actually love them, will actually walk in my ways. You will not treat my daughters this cheaply. And and somehow the whole debate over this text became, yeah, but what's the whole word about indecency mean? When can we do this? And Jesus is like, you guys have completely missed the point. You've completely missed it. Divorce, Deuteronomy 24 is not God up in heaven going, hey guys, look, I know um, you married crazy, so you get a do-over. Here's the grounds on which you get your do-over. Deuteronomy 24 is God saying in a society where this is pervasive, he wants to protect the most vulnerable from your, what Jesus calls, hardness of heart. From our hardness of heart. Now, hardness of heart is defined in the Bible as not listening, um, is being stubborn, 
obstinate, proud, thinking you know everything, not listening to God or other people, but being your own God and refusing to be responsive to the information and the people and the relationships around you, first and foremost, God. Um, Has anyone experienced hardness of heart in their marriage? Don't raise your hand right now. Uh, but yeah, and, and see, the, the thing is, hardness of heart, it's not just um, a problem in our marriage. When Jesus says it's because of your hardness of heart God had to give this command, you can almost hear him sighing. He's like, man, I remember when we wrote that one where we were like, what is wrong with these people? Okay, we at least need to protect the women. Um, he's saying it's because of your hardness of heart God had to write this command. Uh, he's saying the problem is not just at the level of divorce, but there's something deeper going on here. It's in the heart of people. The problem is always in here. It's never out there. It's never with your spouse. It's always with you. It's always in here. This is where the problem starts, and all the junk out there comes from in here. This is Jesus' main teaching. And and he's been warning his disciples about their own hardness of heart for several chapters now. Um, So it's not that he's saying hardness of heart is just a dynamic in marriage. He said this is a dynamic of all humanity. That in our sin, rather than having a soft heart that listens to God and loves others and loves God and lives life to the full, we have a hard heart that is obstinate, that is prideful, that is proud, that will not listen. Jesus has been warning his disciples about that. And here he says that is at the heart of the divorce issue in his day. See, the same hardness of heart that causes us to not listen to God, like Jesus has been warning his disciples about, is the same hardness of heart that causes us not to listen to our spouse. When they say it's not going well, we need help, I want to talk about this. It's the same hardness of heart that can, um, if left unchecked, lead to a type of evil that God would step in and say, okay, that is so wicked, you're at least going to give her a certificate of divorce to protect her from your nonsense. And again, we're talking ancient world. I want to bring this into the modern day and to say, hey, uh, now with um, the very good advances in equality we've made that men and women are considered equal in dignity, value, and worth, we finally caught up to page one of the Bible. Good job, us. Now that we've caught up to page one of the Bible, this is a dynamic that can go both ways. So ladies, don't think like, oh yeah, those bad men. You can do this too in our culture today. You have a power and a dynamic that they didn't back then. So we all need to hear this. We all need to sit under this word today. The the same hardness of heart that causes us not to listen to God can, if left unchecked, kill a marriage, can bring such evil into a marriage that God would have to say, Okay, this is the protection that's necessary. This is um, what I will allow. See, Jesus, what he's doing here is he's standing over centuries of rabbinic debate and saying, you've missed the whole point. Divorce was not God's design. It is God's concession due to your hardness of heart. So if you're the note-taking type, that's Jesus' first answer. Divorce is not God's design. It is God's concession to protect the vulnerable where our hard and sinful hearts run out of control. God's not going to let that go unchecked. He doesn't want his children to be um, harmed or defined by the sin of another. And so this is God's concession to meet us in our broken world. Now, here's what that means. The divorce is not God's design, but it is his concession. Here's what that means. That means that we should not run to divorce as a path of flourishing. Um, See, I think we live much like the Roman society where, uh, and some of you, you are discipled by our no-fault divorce culture, that you see marriage is ultimately about your happiness and uh, that, you know, the second you don't feel happy, you get out of a marriage. I mean, this is the air we breathe. I'm not picking on you. This is just what we are taught from everything out there in the world, that marriage is ultimately about you, and the second it doesn't serve your needs, then you start over again with a younger spouse, a different spouse, someone else. And Jesus is going to challenge that idea here, especially with the second part of his answer, but he's challenged it already. That this isn't a path of flourishing. This isn't something God designed and is saying, here you go, this is going to be awesome. But at the same time, this is a concession that God has allowed to prevent greater evil. And so we shouldn't run to divorce as the path of flourishing. We shouldn't see it that way. We need to let the word of God um, kind of reform our mind and our thinking on this one. Um, But others of you, 
maybe you've gone in the exact opposite direction. I think sometimes we can respond to something that is evil and wrong by going the exact opposite direction. Instead of letting the word of God inform us, we've now made an error in the other direction. And so I think especially what tends to happen in the church is we can view divorce as the unforgivable sin. Um, I've had divorced friends tell me, I I just feel like a leper in my church. I just can't even go back there. And in light of the words of Jesus, that can't happen here either. Because what Jesus is saying is, hey, it's not God's design, but it is God's concession. There is a time where this is necessary in a broken, fallen, wicked world. And and lest someone would twist my words, because this happens in churches, where people will twist Jesus' words about marriage Um, to try to keep someone in an abusive marriage. And so lest that happen here, let me just say this. If you're in an abusive marriage with a bully that is keeping you down, this is not Jesus saying you have to stay there. That would be a whole nother sermon. But the whole idea is that divorce is God's concession to protect from greater wickedness. And if you have questions about that, if you're in a dangerous spot, I want to encourage you to reach out to us, meet with a pastor this week. We want to support you. But the big idea Marriage is not God's intention, it is God's concession to protect from greater evil caused by hardness of heart. That's the first part of Jesus' answer. And the question is, why? Why is it not God's intention? Why does God want people to stay married so badly? And that takes us into Jesus' second part of his answer. See, Jesus, he doesn't just want to talk about marriage from a point of concession. Uh, What he does in verse 6 is he takes the whole discussion back to creation. He says, let's not talk about God's concession due to sin and brokenness and folly and evil. Let's talk about how I've designed this to actually operate. Let's talk about um, what marriage is really supposed to be. Um, One of the commentaries I read, I thought this was so clever. It said, you don't um, learn how to fly an airplane by reading about plane crashes. You learn to fly an airplane about learning how it's supposed to fly through the air. And so that's what Jesus does with the second part of his answer. Um, And he goes back to creation. This is page one of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. That's where Jesus is quoting from in verses 6 to 9. And the first thing he says is God made us male and female. Now, um, that was as controversial of a statement in Jesus' day as it is in our day. Uh, In Jesus' day, the idea that men and women stand on equal playing foot in the marriage relationship, that there's an equality of value, um, would have been very challenging, uh, particularly to these men. I'm thinking probably particularly to these Pharisees. Like, what? How dare you say that? But Jesus is like, I'm quoting the Bible. I'm quoting page one. This is before sin enters the world. This isn't related to any one culture. This is timeless truth for all humanity. Um. But again, I I said this earlier, our culture has changed. And so I think for us, these words will strike us that Jesus says there is any distinction between male and female. Um, That to say that marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman is shocking to us today. And, and, And yet that's what Jesus, it's the first thing he says about marriage. See, because according to Jesus, marriage is the coming together of two equal but distinct partners for a type of harmony that could not be found if there was utter sameness between the two. That's where Jesus begins with marriage. And look, um, if that is hard for you to hear, um, I, if that doesn't feel like that could be good or true to you, I just want you, I, I want to say this clearly, you were welcome here. Um, I am glad you are here uh, and Um, I think my hope for you, if you'd just let me be your pastor for one moment, my hope for you would be that as you are here in exploring Jesus with us, um, that you would see along with every single one of us that life with Jesus is about learning to bring our entire life under his good leadership, bringing our lives out of the wilderness into the goodness of life in his kingdom. And sometimes that's going to be counterintuitive. We're going to say, I'm not sure that's the path to flourishing. But Jesus is dead set on leading you into life. His view of flourishing might look different than yours, but it always, is always the path to life. And my hope for you, and, and look, you don't have to have all this figured out to become a follower of Jesus. You can have questions. We talked about this two weeks ago. So I'm not saying you have to have it all figured out. What I am saying is, please don't hit the eject button over this. If you go like, man, that is so contrary to what I believe, um, don't hit the eject button over this. Bring your, 
questions, maybe your frustrations and your doubts about what Jesus has just said to him this morning. Talk to him about that. I think you will be surprised what he will do in your life if you don't hit the eject button and say, Jesus, I want to bring my life under your leadership. I believe you have the path to life, but this seems so backwards and crazy to me. Can you help me understand I think you might be surprised by how God would meet you. So please do not hit the eject button over this. I want to love you enough to say that, but I also want to love you enough to say it's the first thing he says about marriage. And so we can't just conveniently cut it out. That marriage is a partnership between equals that are distinct so that there can be a type of harmony that we wouldn't be able to achieve otherwise. Then the second thing, he moves from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2. And he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Um, I should have said this a moment ago. The plan is, Lord willing, that we'll start preaching through Genesis in the fall. Um, It'll save five minutes on every sermon since I go there every sermon. Uh, uh, So we're going to talk much more about this in the fall Uh, God's design for human sexuality, what it means to be male and female in marriage. Let me just say this about what Jesus just said there as it relates to marriage. What Jesus is saying is the most important relationship you will ever have outside of your relationship with God, after your relationship with God, the most important human relationship you will ever have is with your spouse. This is why a man will leave his father and mother. The, The relationship between parent and children is a tight one. And what Jesus is saying is there something even more important than that? It is the marriage relationship. Then the man will leave his father and mother, have a more significant human relationship. He will hold fast to his wife. Why? Because they have become one flesh. Um, your relationship with your spouse is the most important human relationship you will ever have. That's what Jesus is saying here. And, and I've had people ask me this. Um, like, why... Why are Christians so amped up about marriage? Why do we care so much about who gets married and all of this stuff? And Jesus just told us right there. The reason that we care so much about marriage is because it's unlike any other human relationship. That the relationship between a husband and a wife is sacred because in the marriage covenant, two souls have been knit together as one in this mysterious thing that God calls marriage. And when Genesis talks about this moment, um, what it says is that Adam and Eve, our first parents at the first wedding ceremony, Genesis chapter 2, it says, Adam and Eve, when God knits them together as one flesh, they are naked and unashamed. And, and that, it's not just a physical reality. Um, at our wedding, a uh, little boy laughed when the preacher said naked. <laughs> he said naked. It's not just a physical reality, though it was one. But it's a deeply emotional and spiritual reality. This coming together, one man and one woman coming together as one flesh, it is describing the type of intimacy that our sexed-out, commitment-phobic culture longs for but will never be able to achieve. Um, Listen to how Dallas Willard puts it. I I think this is so helpful. He says this. Intimacy is the mutual mingling of souls who who are taking each other into themselves to ever-increasing depths. The truly erotic is the mingling of souls. Because we are free beings, intimacy cannot be passive or forced. And because we are extremely finite, it must be exclusive. One of the most telling things about contemporary human beings is they cannot find a reason for not committing adultery. Yet intimacy is the spiritual hunger of the human soul, and we cannot escape it. This has always been true and remains true today. We now keep hammering the sex button in the hopes that a little intimacy might finally dribble out, but in vain. For intimacy comes only within the framework of individualized faithfulness within the kingdom of God. What he's saying there is the intimacy that you and I long for. It is not found by having as many partners as possible. And I know that's the air we breathe. I know that's what we're taught. It's not found by just getting out the second marriage gets hard. I mean, that is a shallow way to live. It's where he talks about like we're hammering the sex button, hoping something will come out. But that is not the source of true intimacy. According to the Bible, the source of true intimacy 
is found in what Willard calls the mingling of souls, of two people coming together and continuing to give themselves to one another over and over again over time. And that, that can only happen where there is this commitment, this bond of living as one flesh. Because I got to tell you, um, if you say, oh, that's beautiful, I want to have that kind of intimacy, here's what you're going to see. Some of you, you're newly married, and you're like, why is this hard? This is totally our life. This is so good. Let me just tell you what's coming. Um, you married a sinner, and, and so did your spouse. And so what's going to happen, inevitably, is, and for you, like me and Karen, we on a fight in our honeymoon. We're just high highs, low lows. We, that, that's our relationship. There, there's a lot of fireworks with us. It's awesome. Some of you, that's not your dynamic. It might take you a month or a year, but you will get to that spot where you're like, I married crazy. I, I, I married crazy. And what the biblical picture of intimacy is, is seeing you're crazy and not going anywhere. It is living as one flesh to say, you're crazy, it's now my crazy. That we are a team and your good is my good. And so the biblical picture of marriage is two people not living together for convenience or when it serves them, but two people coming together as one flesh, saying we're in this for intimacy. We are in this as a team. And no matter what comes up, you can be yourself here. You can be the real you here, and I'm not running anywhere. This is a place of safety where you can experience true intimacy. That is what Jesus says marriage is supposed to be when he talks about it being one flesh. And that's why Jesus says that marriage is never meant to be broken. He says what God has, now Jesus is adding his word. So he's been quoting Genesis, now he draws his summary. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's Jesus's commentary on Genesis 2. What he's saying is whether or not you were a Christian and you recognized it when you got married, your marriage, it is a miracle. God was doing something in the ceremony there where he knit your souls together to create this place that is meant to be a place of safety where you can experience true intimacy over a lifetime where you can know that not only will you not leave me, but you will bear my burdens with me. God was the one that gave you your marriage. God was the one that thought all of this up. And what Jesus is saying is he gave you this gift to experience a type of harmony, a type of intimacy and safety that you can experience nowhere else like this in this world. And he says, if you break this gift that God has given you by knitting you together, by giving you this marriage, it will break your heart. Because the whole point of marriage is that it is built to last. It is meant to last. God does not kind of like put blocks together. He knits souls together. It is not meant to be broken. This is why divorce is so painful because it's ripping apart something that God has joined together. Jesus is like, I would like to spare you that pain. What God has joined together, don't try to rip it apart. It's going to break your soul to try to undo the work of the divine in you. That whether or not you were a Christian when you got married, this is Genesis chapter 2. This is for all humanity and all cultures, regardless of faith position, that when there is a marriage of a man and a woman, God steps in and knits those souls together. Even if it's a silly ceremony where um, they like read from you know, John Mayer lyrics instead of the Bible. God is at work in marriage to create a place of intimacy, harmony, and safety. And Jesus is saying, I want to spare you the pain of ripping that apart. And so that's Jesus' picture of marriage. One man with one woman enjoying the intimate connection of living as one flesh for one lifetime. If you're the note-taking type, that was one, 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 one. Anything less, it's not God's design. And I want to say that with as much love and compassion as I can, because I know what the book of Romans says is true. For all have sinned and daily fall short of God's design. But what Jesus is saying, this is the picture you're meant for. This is the picture of flourishing. One man with one woman enjoying the intimate connection of living as one flesh for one lifetime. Now, as you can imagine, the disciples have some questions about this. 
And so the, the story continues in verse 10. It says, And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. Um, I can only imagine they're like, Oh, yeah, Jesus, that was really great. I mean, we're thinking about divorce in a whole new way. We shouldn't run to this thing. We shouldn't be eager about this thing. But like, Jesus, surely there's some exceptions, right? Surely there's some limits on what you just said. Like, there's a time where God's going to look at us and be like, bro, I get it. Go ahead. And so the disciples, they asked Jesus some questions and, and listened to his answer. He says, verse 11, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jesus says, no, guys, it's never God's design. This is never what God intends. Remember, it's not God's intention, it's God's concession. For, he says, for a person to divorce their spouse and marry another is akin to adultery. Now, some people, that, that's a hard word, right? Um, some people have taken that and said, okay, what Jesus must be saying here then is that divorce is permittable under certain circumstances, but you just can't ever get remarried or it would be like adultery. Um, the problem with that is in the culture Jesus is speaking into, they had no concept for divorce that didn't lead to remarriage. Remember, that was one of the key protections of the vulnerable is you could get remarried. So that's, it couldn't have meant that to the original audience. And frankly, it misses the whole point of what Jesus is doing here. So you don't have to have a commentary or a study Bible to tell you about the original culture. I should have led with this. It just misses Jesus' whole point to conclude that. So you have to remember how Jesus teaches. He says things like this. I'll quote from his famous Sermon on the Mount, because you probably heard it. Um, if anyone gets angry with his brother, you've murdered him. If you've lusted after someone in your heart, with your eyes, you've committed adultery. So when Jesus says this here, um, he is not saying that if you get divorced and get remarried, that that is committing actual adultery any more than he's saying we should throw you in jail for flipping that guy the bird on the way to church this morning right like this is how jesus talks he is getting to the heart of the matter this is what jesus does he's saying the same hardness of heart that leads to a, um, adultery Right? Take the other example. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount should be very well known. Um, when he's saying, it, like, when you're angry and your heart's like you've killed someone, he's saying that same heart condition, if left unchecked, leads to murder, and no one's applauding you just because you haven't had the outward opportunity to get away with it. It's in your heart, and it's a problem, and I want to deal with that and bring you life on the inside, not just on the outside. And it's the same thing going on here. He says the same hardness of heart that would lead someone to betray a spouse in an act of adultery is the same hardness of heart that leads to divorce, which in that culture would lead to remarriage. And so it, I guess I would say it this way. He's not saying anything new inside the house he hasn't just said outside. He's restating his message for his disciples that they're like, we can't believe this. Like, Jesus, you just said something completely unlike any of the teachers in our day. And Jesus is like, yes, I did. Yes, I did, because I didn't come just to clean the outside of your life. I came to clean up your heart. Because, see, here's the thing. Uh, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel, what they were doing is giving commands that we could live out in our own strength. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus comes to address the heart issues that drive the junk out there. And so Jesus comes deeper. He comes to the heart of the matter. And he says, yes, while the concession of divorce has been necessary because of the hardness of heart, and I'm not going to let my children be treated cheaply, you've got to realize, especially remember, he's talking to his disciples who have been with him this whole time. They know his primary message. He's saying, you've got to realize a new day has dawned upon the world. My kingdom, it is bursting into this place. And don't you remember what the prophet said about my kingdom? That in my kingdom, my people receive a new heart with a new power to walk in a new way. And so what Jesus is saying is like, hey, in my kingdom, I'm going to help you address the root problem to where you won't have to get divorced any more than you won't have to commit adultery. I'm going to address what's at the root. I'm going to address your heart. And that's the whole point of the gospel. 
That's the whole thing Mark's been telling us on repeat, that though God's design for marriage has been lost in the fall, we've talked about Genesis 1 and 2, it gets lost in Genesis 3, it's been lost ever since, um, Though God's design for marriage has been lost in the fall and that you and I and everyone who has ever lived have been plagued with a hard heart that leads to all sorts of sin and brokenness in our relationships, Jesus has come into the world to remove our sin from us, to push back darkness and bring the light of his kingdom, bring the life that we were made for back into this world to renew this place. To go to the cross and on the cross die in our place for our sins, past, present, and future, and remove them from us so he could rise again and say, whoever trusts in me, I've removed your sin from you. Even the sins you haven't committed yet, I have dealt with it. It is finished. For those of you that have been sinned against and you feel like, I I, I just have so much shame, Jesus can say to you, I have taken on not only your sin, but your shame, and I've risen again to give you a new identity as my son and daughter. You stand in my righteousness, their sin doesn't get to define you anymore. My grace gets to define you now. And he can say to all who trust in him, I will put my spirit in you. This is the promise of the new covenant. The hope of the prophets is here that my kingdom has come, that through my coming death and resurrection, I'm going to give you a new power to actually live into God's design for marriage. I'm going to put my spirit in you now that your sin is removed and the Holy Spirit will soften your hard heart from one degree of glory to another and make you more and more increasingly able to hear from me, receive my grace, and extend that love and grace to the person that you are married to. This is the point of the gospel. And what that means, is that if you've trusted in Jesus, you do not have to settle for the concession. If you've trusted in Jesus, you don't have to settle for anything less. You have a new heart. And so let me just say it this way. Um, No spirit-filled couple has to end in divorce. No spirit-filled couple has to end in divorce. That's what Jesus is saying here. My kingdom is dawned on the world, the concession. It was necessary for a time, but for those who have entered my kingdom by faith, received a new heart, received my indwelling presence through my spirit, you do not have to end in divorce. I don't care how busted it is. And, and I've done enough pastoral counseling to know. Some of you are thinking, oh, but you don't know the hurt. Okay, maybe I don't know the hurt, but who has loved you more faithfully than Jesus? And who has been more sinned against than Jesus? And he is the one commanding this to say, no matter the hurt that's been done to you, as we look at the undeserved love of our God and King Jesus for us and see how he has loved us, even as we have sinned egregiously against him, we will be filled with a new power to extend a new type of love to those that would sin against us. And it's his Holy Spirit that is present in us that softens our heart. You don't do this in your own strength. You say, Jesus, I need your help because right now I want to punch him. Right now I want to get out. But as you press into Jesus, he will empower you to live into God's design. And I ain't talking theory here. I've walked with couples that have been through the betrayal of just the worst things, like like adultery. I sat there through the tears saying, I don't know how I didn't see it. I can't believe this would happen. And I've walked over time with that couple and seen them come out the other side and say, by God's grace, our marriage is somehow more beautiful now than it ever was. Are you kidding me? Look at what he's done. Like, if you have trusted in Jesus, no spirit-filled couple has to end in divorce. This is what Jesus came to do, to empower us to live into God's design for marriage, even as we live in the midst of a broken world, to be outposts of what his kingdom and his grace and his love can do that show the world this is what our God is like. Now, even as I say that, I I also just, I need to also say this, there are two people in marriage. Um, and, and the Bible does recognize elsewhere that if you are married to someone that hasn't trusted in Jesus, hasn't received his forgiveness and grace and this new heart and the power of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you are married to a Christian, but uh, they are just um, resisting the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life. They won't listen to God's word. They won't listen to God's people. Um, they, they're, they're just being hard-hearted. It doesn't mean they're not a Christian. Don't question their salvation. It just means they are not 
being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not living into this new power that they have. The Bible will recognize elsewhere that, yes, in those cases, divorce may still be God's concession to protect you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not making you any promises here. When I say no spirit-filled couple has to end in divorce, I'm not saying no, spirit, um, no Christian couple will end in divorce. And I'm certainly not saying no couple will end in divorce. The Bible will address those issues elsewhere. Um, I, I don't have time to do in this sermon, but if you have questions, I want to encourage you to send them in. If you want to meet with a pastor this week, include your contact info so we can reach out to you. Um, I know there's a tension here, but that's what it means to live in a broken world with a new world and a new kingdom bursting into it, is there is going to be some tension. What Jesus is teaching here is he does not abolish what Moses said because we live in a broken world. And then until Christ returns and makes all things new and removes sin and brokenness and evil from this world entirely, there will remain times where divorce is necessary to prevent a greater evil. But for those who've trusted in Jesus, he does empower us to live beyond what Moses said. He does empower us to live for the world that is coming because that world has bursted into this one for all who trust in Jesus. It's bursting from you, from his spirit who lives in you, who is the down payment of our inheritance in the future world we will have where there will never be hardness of heart ever again. And you can live into that right now. If you and your spouse would together say, by faith in Jesus, we are going to press in right now, then you can see God. Here's a promise I will make to you. You can see God bring a type of healing you would never imagine. If you would commit by faith, pressing into Jesus and asking his spirit to work in you. And where there's been significant damage or harm looping in Christian community, to make sure you're doing this in wisdom, to make sure no one's manipulating or pressing you with this. That's that's one thing I just want to say. If you have questions, loop in a friend, loop in a pastor, because what can so often happen with a topic like this is someone can twist the words to manipulate a situation, and that's just harder to do in community when you have other Jesus-loving people with their Bibles open with you. So I want to encourage you to do that with others. So, let me try to land the plane here. Um, I want to say real practically, what do we do with this then? Uh, let me say this. If you are single, um, here, here's my word to you. The, the second most important decision you will ever make after which God you will worship is which person you will marry. And so if, if we're saying marriage is meant to be this thing that goes on for a whole lifetime, then... Um, like when I'm doing premarital counseling, here's my approach is I'm always saying let's get as much junk on the table as we can right now because all the way up until the moment you say I do and your souls are knit together, you can say, no, I didn't sign up for this. I am out. But from the moment you enter a marriage covenant, it's very different to say I'm out. Like, let me say it this way. Um, in premarital counseling, you can say I did not sign up for those in-laws. You can say that hit the eject button. Once you've entered into the covenant of marriage, you don't get to say, I didn't sign up for those in-laws. So get it all out there right now. Singles, if you are dating, date well, do the work, get it all out there before entering into the covenant of marriage with someone. Um, If you are married, uh, my heart for you as your pastor is that you would hear God's heart for marriage here. Um, that you would hear that marriage is meant to be this place of intimacy and safety. And where that's not been the case for you, uh, my question for you would be, not for your spouse, my question for you would be, where is the Spirit of God calling you to repent of your hardness of heart? Because you've got to hear this. The goal is not just to not get divorced. That, that is not the goal of this text. That is not the goal of this sermon. If your takeaway from this sermon is, uh, okay, well, I won't get divorced. Some of you can do that in your own flesh, in your own strength. You can just white knuckle staying together just to spite the other person or spite the person that thinks you can't do it. You can grow very religious and proud about not getting divorced. And you can be just as far from the heart of God as those who are. And so the goal of this sermon is not not to get divorced. The goal of this text, the goal of this sermon, it is to root out the hardness of heart that keeps us from experiencing the intimacy and safety that God designed marriage to be. And so where do you need to do that? 
I think every married person should be able to go home and say um, to your spouse, um, here's where God is leading me to confess. Uh, here's where I want to grow in our intimacy and safety together. And, thank, and together, thank God for his grace that helps you, helps us when we do this imperfectly. Is uh, a church, um, we want to hold high this vision of marriage and encourage perseverance with our spouse by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of Jesus for those who are married. At the same time, we want to be a place of refuge for those who have not experienced the ideal. We want to be like Jesus who has love and mercy and encouragement and and draws near to those who are hurting. And so if you have been divorced, what I want you to hear from me is I'm glad you're here. We are glad you're here. We love you. More importantly, God loves you. Uh, And as a church, we want to be here to help you navigate whatever stuff this sermon has brought up for you. We want to be a place of refuge for you. That's what it means to be the people of God. As long as I'm the pastor here, you are not going to find judgment here. You are going to find grace and a community that will surround you and encourage you in your walk right where you are. And so if you want to meet with a pastor this week, I'd encourage you to reach out to us. We'd love to meet with you, pray with you, encourage you, support you in any way we can. And the last note I just want to end on for all of us is um, for all of us that fall in there somewhere in between, I want to end with where we started, with the word of grace. That God is a God of grace. That there is no sin that he cannot forgive. There is no brokenness in our stories of what has been done to us that he cannot heal and bring new life again because that is exactly what Jesus came to do. Amen? Okay, well, let's pray then and ask him to do this for us. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that there is no sin that you won't forgive, that the only sin that can't be forgiven is uh, not asking you to forgive us in the first place. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus and all that he has done for us. Um, I pray that as we have sat in a difficult text this morning, that you would fill us with your spirit and lead us and guide us into all truth. Um, where your word has pressed on us this morning, I ask that you would help us to see that as your loving leadership to go deeper into your heart. Um, where we are feeling pressed, I, I, I pray um, that you would thwart the attempts of the evil one to make uh, someone feel condemned or guilty this morning or shame over what has happened to us in our past. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would thwart the attempts of the evil one and to point us to the cross, to point us to Jesus and his word over us, that it is finished, that our sin is paid for, that we are washed clean, that we are your beloved children by grace. And so would you lead us to have fresh confidence in the gospel this morning? And give us fresh gospel power to walk out of here and have the types of marriage that live into your design. Not only for our enjoyment, um, but to show this community and our world and the ones we love an imperfect but beautiful picture of what you are like and how your love changes everything. We love you. We trust you. We ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus.